Welcome to the Managing Miscarriage Podcast. I am Melissa Whitman, founder of the nonprofit One Generation and our current initiative, Managing Miscarriage. We help women through the heartbreak of miscarriage, and as a nonprofit, we run completely on donations. Our services help thousands of women, so please support us by donating through our website, managingmiscarriage.com. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I have Kristen joining me who experienced a missed miscarriage at 12 weeks this past November. So Kristen, thank you for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So tell me about that pregnancy, finding out that you were pregnant and and that first trimester. Yes. So uh, my husband and I have been trying for a few months. It wasn't anything yet where if I missed my period or if I did get my period that I was very disappointed. It was, okay, we're trying. And when I got pregnant within, I believe it was three months, um, I was I was thrilled that it happened so easily. Um, it, there had been some infertility that seemed to run in my mom's side of the family. So I was just honestly thrilled that it happened so easily and felt lucky that, you know, this didn't end up being this long drawn out process like I had seen it be for some of my female relatives. So um, very pleasantly surprised and um, we were we were thrilled. We really were. Uh, we went in at eight weeks for our first ultrasound and saw the heartbeat. Um, everything looked great. There was there was no issues in the least. Heartbeat was perfect, measuring right on schedule. Um, and then when we went in for our 12-week appointment, that was with the genetic testing. Um, they, they did the testing first, which I thought was a little... I'm sorry, they did the counseling first. And then we went in for the ultrasound and you know, at the beginning, my husband and I were kind of joking about whether we wanted to, um, we actually had to pay an additional fee if we wanted to find the gender out. So we were joking about that. And, um, you know, looking back now, it was probably clear that something was wrong. Um, she kind of, I think she realized right away that the uh, fetus was not the size that it should have been. And I actually realized it when she did the measurement of the fetus and it said eight weeks, six days, and I should have been exactly 12 weeks. So before she even opened her mouth, I knew immediately that there was something wrong. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, and I felt I actually had had four pretty close friends and a family member that had all had miscarriages and that had been pretty, um, outspoken about it. So miscarriage was definitely something that I was aware of um, okay. for every single one of my doctor's appointments. My When they did my blood pressure at the beginning, it was, it was very, very high. And it was because I was nervous and I was worried about repeating these situations that I had seen my friends go through. And even one of my very best friends had the exact same situation we did where she saw the heartbeat at eight, went in at 12, and there, there was none. It was the same, um, almost the same situation. So I felt like I was very aware that miscarriage was a possibility, and I it really surprised me at how much this experience completely shook me, and um, has you know still affects me uh, many months later at this point. So, right. So you go in, you know right mm-hmm. away that something's not right, yes. and then what did? Did they pause? Did they say, let me bring in the doctor? You know, that's normally how it goes. What was that Mm -hmm. like for you? So I felt very lucky. She, the, the, the tech that was doing the ultrasound told us that there was no heartbeat. And I, you know, having to wait and have the doctor come in, um, those, that, you know, those moments of agony just have to be awful. So I feel very fortunate that she immediately said there's no heartbeat. 
um, you know, let me let you get changed and we're going to bring a doctor in, you know, to, to counsel you. And it was just, you know, complete disbelief at this point. You know, I thought here I am. I thought I was almost through the first trimester um, and to be in this situation. So they presented me with three options that, you know, most people get. Um, I chose to do a DNC. And they did present me with having it under um, anesthesia or as an outpatient, which I don't think I've heard anyone else on your uh, podcast mention. I chose to do it um, under anesthesia. So I had to wait uh, after that appointment. I believe it was three days later that was their first opening um, to come in, you know, for the procedure. So I... I do work from home, um, travel quite frequently. I had just told my manager the week before that I was pregnant. Um, so I did tell him right away, you know, I'm having surgery later this week. I'm going to be out of pocket. He was very understanding. And, but you know, that week just kind of waiting to go in for the DNC was, was a little bit difficult. Oh, awful. Yeah. Um, so DNC went really well. I mean, I, I guess in my mind, you know, the, I, in my mind, the pregnancy was over that day um, when we saw the ultrasound. So the DNC itself wasn't incredible that incredibly emotional for me. But I mean, just the whole process is more drawn out than I think people anticipate. You know, you have to go in for your pre-op and then you have the DNC and you have multiple follow-ups and, you know, it's just, it's involved. <laughs> right. When you just want it to be over. You're exactly. like, this is over, let it be over. Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. So um, I, you know, the DNC actually went really well. I, when I, when I was, when I came home, um, the cramping was fairly minimal. I was, I was worried about that. Some bleeding, not, not awful. Um, but I did have some complications several weeks after the DNC. Um, I, they kind of warned me in the, in the paperwork, they said, you know, it's not unusual to have an episode of bleeding, you know, five to seven days after. And I, I had had some mild spotting, I would say kind of had tapered off. And then the following week, and here is the advice I have as well. You know, they, they kind of said you can get back to your normal activities after a few days. I don't really know if that meant like working out, which for me was a normal activity. So five days later, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm not having any bleeding. I'm not having any cramping. I, I go back to the gym and I had been to the gym twice the week following. Uh, and both times I came home and passed an incredible amount of clocks. So I have told, you know, actually a friend that had a miscarriage after I did, you know, I said, you know what, just they say two weeks, like give it at least a week, a week and a half. Don't really push your body too much. Um, I don't know if it was related. It seems like it was. So, you know, it, and it was getting to the point, you know, they gave you the, well, if you fill up a, a pad in an hour and I got to that point and it was after it was in the evening and it was a little scary. It's, you know, what, what do I do if this continues? Am I going to go to the ER for this? You know, so um, it did pretty much stop at that point, but it was a little bit of a scary experience after what I thought was a fairly normal first week and a quick recovery. And then to have, you know, all of this clotting happening. And I mean, I even passed a little bit of tissue, which was, um, I thought concerning given that I thought the point of the DNC was that they get everything right. So, you know, I, I was a little, um, had some symptoms afterwards that were a little bit, uh, difficult, I guess. So. And how had you been feeling through that first trimester? Like when you went in for the 12 week appointment? Mm -hmm. um, ironically, the sickest I was uh, just nausea wise was after the fetus had died or at least had stopped growing. Um, like my ninth to 10th week, I couldn't smell any cooking food. You know, I, I wasn't, I, I never threw up once during the pregnancy, but uh, the sickest, the most nauseous I felt was after 
the fetus had died. Oh, wow. So that was hard. Um, just as everyone says that, you know, your, my body had completely had no idea what was going on. Right. So oh, that disconnect is rough. Yes, it is rough. It yeah. is. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I, I actually am pregnant again. And, you know, I, I've had people say, well, oh, it's a good sign that you have morning sickness. And I want to say I had it last time and, and there was something bad going on, you know, there, the fetus was not alive and I was still sick. So that was hard. That was, uh, that, that was a little bit difficult. Just, you know, I thought I was in the clear. I thought I was about to start showing. Um, so yeah. So you mentioned to me Mm -hmm. before, and it's a theme that has come up recently mourning the loss of the joy around Mm -hmm. being pregnant and now you're pregnant again and no longer do two pink lines equal baby in your head it equals well i sure as shit hope so but i don't know yep absolutely yeah i think that was you know i i less mourned for the loss of that child and i more mourned that pregnancy is no longer something that is happy and exciting is the most painful thing in my life right now. And I think that's, what's very interesting about, you know, having experienced a miscarriage, you're, you have a friend that is pregnant and it is the best thing for them that's going on in their life. And it is the absolute worst for my, me. And just that juxtaposition of it's so happy for someone else. And so sad for you is, is very, very difficult. Um, that was really, really hard for me. And I I had a really hard time after the miscarriage. Um, not only did I, you know, I didn't have any severe complications, but I just felt like the whole process dragged out, you know, out for a while. I mean, I also spotted for about six weeks after the DNC, which I was, it was just getting ridiculous at this point. Like, can I please not wear a pad anymore? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I had, you know, I actually also had, which I haven't heard anyone talk about, is um, I had PMDD, uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, develop after the miscarriage. And it is not something that I had, I had never had any sort of PMS in the past, not mood, not symptoms. I'd always had fairly easy periods. And I had a couple, it happened um, two days after the DNC. And then it happened within a day or two before I got my first few periods after the DNC. And I was just, I would say, extreme hopelessness, um, crying all day uncontrollably, um, and just feeling extremely depressed. And it was popping up about two days before I got my period uh, every time. And it took me, I mean, your, your cycles are regular after after all this happens. And, you know, it took me about two months to realize it. But, I mean, it was coming right before my period every time. And, I mean, I had never experienced anything like this before. Um, and it was just, it, you know, you're already having my men- my mental state wasn't amazing as it was. And then to have these low moments, I mean, it was scary. It really was. And I, I do feel lucky that when I was looking, when I was looking this up, I did find um, a resource online that said any, you know, any significant hormonal event, a birth, a miscarriage, um, menopause, et cetera, can cause, you know, the development of, of more severe PMS or PMDD symptoms. Um, so I, you know, I knew that this was the reason that this was happening, but it was just like another cruel slap in the face that not only, (laughs) not only am I, am I recovering from this? Um, but I was worried that I may have this for the rest of my life now, you know, and, and it was pretty bad. So, that was, I was not expecting that at all as well. Did you seek any help with that or were you able to do? I did. 
Yeah. Once I made the connection, um, because at first it was like, oh, I, you know, I had a bad day that day, but then like by the third period after I was like, okay, this is a very, uh, this is a very routine that that's happening, you know, in line with my period. And I went to go see my OBGYN and just said, you know, overall I'm kind of struggling. Um, and I, I've noticed this behavior right before. And I guess my initial thought was, I thought perhaps I had read that, you know, sometimes they may prescribe progesterone because that that's the reason that you're having that shift is the sudden drop in progesterone before your period starts. Um, and he just, he actually said right away, he's like, I would recommend that you go on an antidepressant. And I had been on Lexapro previously to trying to get pregnant. And I went back on uh, about half the dose I had been on before, but I went back on it, um, that day. And that's another advice I would give is, uh, looking back, I wish, I mean, I knew within the first few weeks that I was having a hard time and I wish I had gone back on it on, on Lexapro, um, immediately when I was having a hard time. But in my mind, I thought, oh, well, what if I get pregnant in the first month? Right. But I think anticipating that you will get pregnant right away is just going to lead you for disappointment. And it probably not that it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been in pain, but it would have, I think, taken that edge off and that uh, for sure of, of the pain. So I had wished that, you know, I had just gone on medication a little bit sooner. Um, and I really didn't end up start taking it until about three months after the DNC. And that was at my OBGYN's insistence. And I told him, I said, you know, we're, we're trying to get pregnant. And he said, it sounds like this is, you know, fairly severe. And I think it's more important right now that like you take care of your mental health. So I was fortunate that that was the interaction I had with him. So. Yeah. So you went through this. Okay. So mm -hmm. you had an ultrasound at eight weeks. You hear the heartbeat. You think, oh man, this is amazing. This is good. You go in at 12 weeks, no heartbeat. It's awful. You have the DNC goes decent reminder to everyone, a little PSA chill after yep. any miscarriage. <laughs> okay. Yep. <laughs> and then you're dealing with emotions, PMDD, that has not come up on this podcast before. So thank you for that because it's mm -hmm. definitely something people experience. And all of this kind of leads you to understanding the difference between empathy and sympathy. So mm -hmm. talk to me about that. Sure. Yeah, it's, um, you know, even I had a couple of friends that were just unbelievable support systems to me. I mean, literally checking in every day. How are you doing today? You know, talking through um, my emotions with me friends that had had miscarriages and friends that had not. And just understanding that I was having a hard time. And just because some of them, you know, just because they reacted differently and maybe it didn't affect them that much, they recognized that it did affect me. And, you know, that, that, that I think is one of the biggest takeaways, you know, after this experience is just that when someone is going through something and really just, you know, listening to them and not saying, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. You know, that is such a dismissive statement. Um, but really listening and, you know, kind of probing, you know, why do you think that you feel that way? What are you really scared of? Um, I, it's just really changed, I think, the way that, you know, I, I approach other people. And I it really made it clear the friends that were more empathetic to me and, and what an amazing, you know, gift that really was to have those people in my life and the way that they that they really presented themselves and and were there for me. So that was that was huge. So why do you think you feel that way? And what are you scared of? Wow. Those are good yeah. questions. It is, right? Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was, it was the following up with it, right? And being pregnant again, um, you know, I've had I've had a lot of anxiety. And uh they, you know, they're when I've said, 
oh, I, I went on this boat ride and now I'm all nervous. And they're saying, you know, what are you really scared of? And the bottom line is, is that I could point to something that if I have another miscarriage that I may blame myself. And I feel I didn't really have anything that had happened that, you know, I even thought like, oh, maybe, maybe this was my fault. And if I had any sense that like I could blame myself, like how awful of an experience that would be. Right. And so I, you know, and that's what I was scared of with, with my current pregnancy is that I would blame myself and that that would be even worse than what I had already gone through. What has been the best tool to get you for, through the first trimester of this pregnancy? Oh, geez. Uh, probably staying off the internet and I still <laughs> fail at that all the time. Constantly <laughs> fail at that. Um What's been the best toll? You know, I mean, just like going through the miscarriage itself is, or after the miscarriage, it was really looking back and thinking, you know, this is, this is going to be a blip on my radar. Um, I, I think I will always remember how I felt in those months, you know, in between the miscarriage and, and getting pregnant again. But my the story that I'll remember is, you know, my child's story and it won't be in this, this, this will pass, you know, that was really helpful to me at the time thinking like in the grand scheme of things, I will remember the full pregnancy of my children more than the pain that I'm temporarily in right now. And I feel extremely fortunate that it was fairly temporary. Um, it was just, it was a, it was a dark time for me. And I think going into my first pregnancy and getting pregnant fairly easily, it wasn't trying, wasn't the stressful thing. And then all of a sudden, much like I think a lot of women, um, after the miscarriage, I, I was desperate to get pregnant again. You know, I think part of, part of yeah. me thought this will fix everything. And yep. it was, I mean, I was, I was a complete crazy person. And, you know, when, when I got my, you know, not only was I dealing with this PMDD, but it was when I got my period. I mean, I was, I was so upset and it was a, it was a strain on my husband's and I relationship. I mean, it was definitely not fun, you know, and, um, we both travel extensively for work and just being in the same place, it seemed like it was more difficult than it had been before. And, you know, I, I really only experienced a few months of this desperate need to get pregnant, but, um, it, it was hard. It was really, really hard. And I really am, you know, sympathetic and empathetic to people that struggle with infertility for, for, you know, long periods of time. It's just, it, it's a hard thing. And something that was, I think also difficult for me is I realized I really envied people that had a healthy pregnancy, had a, you know, a positive experience and that were able to get pregnant easily. And it had been a really long time in my life since I think I felt envy like that. And it was, it's kind of a, it's, it's a dark emotion, you know, it's, yes. I want what you have. Yes. And it, and I, it's, it had been the first time in a long time that I had experienced that. And I didn't like it. I didn't like how it made me feel. I didn't like that I wasn't, wasn't happy for someone that was telling me they were pregnant or thinking, like, how lucky are you that you've had this easy pregnancy? I, I didn't like feeling that way. It made me feel like an awful person. You well, know? you feel so, envious and guilty. Yeah. And it's just like layers on top yeah. of the layers you're already feeling. And it's just too much. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, that was hard. That was really hard. Yes. Um, one other thing that I didn't mention is that I was given the opportunity to do chromosomal testing um, with my first DNC, which it seems like the norm, um, just, you know, talking to other people and from what I've heard on your podcast is that most, sometimes they say you won't, you won't have that option until after your third. So they, they gave me that option and um, I was, I wanted to know, you know, what the issue was. And I think in my mind, the best case scenario was that, you know, this was 
a uh, life-threatening form of trisomy. It was completely random. It doesn't mean that we will, it'll happen to us again. And okay, here's a, here's a tidy reason why this happened. And there were no, you know, higher risk of having another. And like, that would have been the best case scenario. But I mean, of, of course that's not life, right? So um, we actually got back the results and it showed that one of us had a inversion on our chromosome nine, which have you ever, you know, had any experience with this before? No, no. Yeah. So it's the most common, um, chromosomal abnormality that exists in the human population. About two to three percent of the entire population has this. But while they claim that it's normal, there's a lot of reports in the medical literature that link it to infertility and also link it to miscarriage. And, you know, just the rationale is, is that this chromosome, um, if, if it's inverted, chromosomal abnormalities are the main reason that you have miscarriages anyway. And because you, you already have an abnormality, it is more likely that something would go wrong when you, um, when the um, baby is forming. So, you know, it was kind of a weird situation because they said this is considered normal, but then there is all these reports. And, and a lot of times in IVF, they actually screen for this and their uh, pre-genetic, uh, uh, analysis before they implant the embryo. So why are they screening for it yeah, if it's normal? That's right? kind of telling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that it, I, I don't know still what to do with that news, but, you know, it was just, you know, ask some further questions because, and they said, if we really won't look into this more until you have two or three miscarriages, which is something I hate, you know, like let's, let's just have things go wrong a few more times before we'll really look into it. Um, but I am, getting genetic counseling next week for my current pregnancy. And, you know, I, I'm going to bring this up and see what kind of testing they're going to do. But it was just an interesting, you know, kind of experience to go through that. Um, I mean, another, you could say positive or negative of the chromosomal testing is they tell you the gender of the baby, which makes it a little harder. I think it makes it a little bit more real, right? So um, that was part of that testing as well. So I guess I feel... I'm glad I had the option um, because if it had been something genetic that we were carriers of, I would want to know that before I had a second miscarriage due to that reason. So, you know, even for the listeners, you know, even if they don't present that that option to you, you know, maybe ask if you, if you would be comforted by further, you know, information and maybe understanding why, you know, ask them is, is chromosomal testing an option following a DNC? So. Yes. Be your own advocate. Always. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Kristen, for sharing so much insight and some new things that, that I haven't uh, heard before on this podcast. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.